This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Don Haney from NerdWax.com explained why he turned down two Shark Tank offers and still built a million-dollar business. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that sold six figures by going door-to-door with retailers. In this episode, you'll learn how to get honest feedback from friends and family, how to get meetings with key retail decision makers, and what does a business agreement with an affiliate look like? Today, I'm joined by Matt Edwards from MoabProvisions.com. That's M-O-A-B-P-R-O-V-I-S-I-O-N-S.com. Moab Provisions started off selling beef jerky with the minimal ingredients and extremely high standards to help you perform at your best, and now has expanded the catalog to seasonings and apparel. It was started in 2015 and based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome, Matt. Hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, great, great to have you on. So, um, yeah, so let's start off by, um, you know, talking about your store. So, you, obviously, uh, like I said, you start off by selling beef jerky. Tell us a little bit more about the store and how you got started. So, that was kind of a long, drawn-out process on my journey down the e-commerce uh, road. So, I kind of, you know, got the idea, wanted to do beef jerky, started actually making beef jerky in my previous career, which put me on the road traveling all the time. So, basically, I lived on airplanes and, and in rental cars. And, you know, you get out there enough, there's really no healthy snacks in convenience stores or something that was easily accessible. So at that point, you know, I was like, hey, I'm going to start doing my own thing. So I started doing trail mix and jerky. And I was like, you know, kind of hit me one day. I was like, I should turn this jerky thing into a business. And so the idea was, all right, let's get this done and, and basically build out an e-commerce platform and start to sell it online. Things didn't exactly work out that way, but that was the plan. Basically, my, my e-commerce you know, life started out on GoDaddy, believe it or not, which was extremely not fun. It was uh, very rudim- rudimentary, I guess is the right word. It was not uh, not pleasant because I built that site myself with zero, zero experience. And then so that kind of led into me finally finding Shopify and that changed my world. Uh, their platform was, I didn't know the right word for it, uh, much more user-friendly. Mm-hmm. And basically, the first four or five months I was open on e-commerce, I had virtually no sales. I mean, I'm, and I probably chalked that up to the website was terrible. And then once I moved to the Shopify platform, got the website redone, e-commerce started to take off. Cool. So let's break this down a little bit. So you you were traveling on the road. That's when you had the idea of, or you had this, this desire to have healthier snacks and, and you know, you don't want to be buying chips and, you know, chocolate and candy bars like that you wanted something healthier so you started making beef jerky for yourself so was this uh, what, what kind of line of business were you in at the time was it beef jerky related or <laughs> like what, not, what, not even close i was in uh basically corporate beverage sales so i dealt with actually convenience store chains and so i would go pitch you know somebody out in california a chain of convenience stores maybe they have 20 30 50 100 stores whatever it may be i would go in and pitch you know um our beverages to them, which we did food service beverages. So like, you know, if you go in, you get a cup of coffee or you get a 
glass of iced tea or something like that. That's what we manufactured. And so that's what I did prior to doing, you know, prior to starting Moab. Mm, very cool. So you had this idea to create beef jerky for yourself. What made you decide to take the, I guess not, not that huge of a leap, but what made you decide to consider selling this, this stuff that you're creating for yourself? After a while, I finally just don't, you know, kind of dawns on you. It's like, you know what? There's got to be more people out here with the same problem than I, you know, that I have. And so I was like, you know what? Let's take the dive into it. So, you know, really my main focus at first was like farmer's markets. And that's because I was like, I need to get other people's feedback. And that's really kind of what launched everything was just going to farmer's markets and cutting up pieces of beef jerky and selling away. And that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I like this uh, approach where you decide to sell in person to get feedback because a lot of times when people start businesses online, they think about how can I get feedback online? How can I get uh, you know launch surveys or how can I collect data to understand to kind of validate this business? But you went say you know I guess a more rudimentary route, but also potentially faster route by just going and selling your products uh, in front of you know people and marketplaces so tell us about that experience how did you uh, well why did you decide to go offline first to to sell your products and what was that experience like so the reason I went offline first is frankly because I, I didn't know anything about online at the time mm -hmm. right there's one thing I know how to do and that's talk face to face meet and greet sell in person right I'm, I'm great in person online I didn't have a clue what I was doing and so I was like, okay, how can I do this and get this in people's hands quickly to a diverse group of people? Well, farmer's markets. You know, you have a variety of taste profiles, of, you know, opinions and age ranges. So I was like, okay, this will work. This is what I'll do. So I reached out to a few farmer's markets, got myself a table, and uh, off I went. And what did you hear, or maybe before I get there, what, what questions were you asking? What, how were how you soliciting feedback from customers? Because this is a product that they're, they're buying, and are they trying on the spot? Like, how do you find out? What I did was went out there, you know, and I, of course I had it all bagged up for sale, but I also cut up samples. And so I had a nice cutting board full of jerky samples, and so they could come up and actually try the jerky, whether they bought some or not was irrelevant. So usually when they, you know, if they tried it, if they, if they stayed there, I always ask, did you like it? Did you not like it? You know, what'd you think? And I'll always ask for feedback, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, you need to know what somebody thinks. Um, cause if you're getting eight yeses and two no's, you got a winner, but if you're getting, you know, six no's and four yeses, you may not have a winner on your hand. And so by doing that, it really allowed, allowed me to gauge feedback from, you know, a diverse group of people that you can't get, frankly, out of nowhere online, uh, right off the bat, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much in one morning and, and, you know, in six hours, you know, I had a hundred different people tell me what they thought. Mm -hmm. And did you, I think this is a, a common, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if you could say it's an issue, but a, whenever anyone goes out there and asks others, whether it be strangers or friends or family, for their feedback on something that they created, people tend to not be that honest. Not not in like a in a malicious way, but they tend to give you more credit or tend to give more positive feedback than than if you know it were more anonymous. Did you, I guess, feel that going in, or how did how were you able to get the honest feedback from people and you know get the good and the bad feedback from them? So yeah, I mean, I agree with you on, on that 100%. And I always try to say, hey, give me your honest opinion. 
you know, whether you hurt my feelings or not, they're, they're not going to be hurt because not everyone's going to like my product and I understand that. And the only way you can help me is by being honest. Without being honest, you're not helping me. It's, it's not, you're doing, you're doing yourself a disfavor for not being honest and you're not helping me at all. And so it was kind of one of those deals is just asking to be honest. Hey, you know what? I know my product isn't for everyone and everybody's product isn't for everyone. And, you know, it's just easier to understand that. And then it's a lot less emotional, you know, so you try to take the emotion out of it. Mm, so you basically clear the air and make it okay for them to give, you know, maybe critical feedback or negative feedback because all of that's obviously very important when you're just starting off uh, your business. So what did you hear exactly that made you decide that, you know what, let me continue to pursue this. Let me continue to move forward with this idea. Basically, a lot of this stuff's fantastic. Where can I buy it? Hmm. That pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much it. So, yeah, I was going to say, so what, what was next then? So after you found out that, okay, people were interested in this, uh, when you were selling that to them face-to-face, what, did you, what was the next stage after that? So it kind of took a two-pronged approach. It was obviously I knew I needed a, you know, an e-commerce site. I needed to get that thing up and running. And then I just went and pounded the streets, knocked on doors, uh, grocery stores, convenience stores. Anybody who was open to selling beef jerky, I went and said hello. And I still do that today. Awesome. And that's just, that's just how, you know, I was like, okay, I can't rely on one or the other. Because at this point in time, I was no longer employed by my employer. So it was, uh, it was time to go all in. And so I went all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely want to talk about your experience going door to door and talking to people in person. Uh, before we get there... Uh, you know, beef jerky isn't obviously is not a, a new product. There's there's big businesses out there already that that sell beef jerky. Did you feel intimidated? You know, when you were going to these convenience stores and you already saw that you know beef jerky is a well known product already. They're well known brands already. Did you ever feel like you know how can I kind of make my place in this uh, in this market? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a challenge when you're going to retail. Retail is not the easiest thing in the world. And in the beef jerky world, one brand really owns the market. I mean, they, and when I say own it, they, they own it. It's not, you know, there's not two major players. There's one major player. And they pretty much try to keep everyone else out. And that's kind of, that was the challenging part because I'd walk in, I'd give samples and say, hey, what do you think? And you know, if it was a smaller store, you know, if it was a one or two store individual, you know, usually you can get in there, you just hand them the samples and say, hey, here's my jerky. What do you think? Would you like to carry it? Yeah, we'll give it a shot and say, okay, here, you know, and I'd sell it to them right there on the spot. But some of the bigger, you know, customers, I'd have to go in and pitch and then they'd say, well, you know, then you start getting the 20 questions and going into that and um, all the details they ask. And of course, you got shelf space. They only have so much room in the store. So you really have to carve out a, a spot in that store for your products. So you're saying that you, at this point, you were no longer employed, you no longer had this full-time job. Was this a voluntary decision? Like, what happened there? Like, how come you, you weren't, you know, working full-time uh, anymore while you were still pursuing this idea? Uh, it was time to, uh, to part ways. Mm, okay, so when you, did you, did you ever consider, okay, I'm going to leave my full-time job and go work somewhere else or did you feel like, okay, I'm going to leave and I want to partic- I want to leave specifically to pursue this other idea? Well, my original plan was to, you know, stay, you know, keep working and actually do the farmer's markets on the weekend and start to build out the e-commerce. Uh, things just didn't work out like that. So it was, you know what, do I go all in or do I go, you know, 
find another career and continue to do this on the side. And I made the decision to go all in. Mm-hmm. And do you think it would be possible today, you know, because it sounds like when you say you went all in, it meant that you now had the time and you had the, I guess, the pressure too to just get those sales immediately, start going door to door, go to all these retailers and just start pitching every single day. Is that, you know, for someone out there that's listening that is that wants to get into retailers, wants to sell to retailers, whether it be food and beverage or any other product? Is it possible to take this route that you that you took in? It sounds like you're still taking while still ha- holding on a day job, or do you need to really, I guess, quit the day job to be able to pursue this strategy? No, no, not at all. They can definitely still, you know, have their day job. You know, it's just gonna it's gonna be a lot of weekends because uh, most of your decision makers are gone in the evenings, so you'll have to try to catch them on the weekend while you're in there. You know, Saturdays or Sundays, and I would definitely say, you know, if you're doing that, or you go the other route and try to pitch a big customer, set a meeting, you know, around your lunchtime and go on your lunch break. Um, because, you know, if you're, if, um, I guess a retail outlet, whether it's a grocery store or whatever it may be, if they have 10, 15 stores, there's usually one person that makes that decision for whatever your product is. Find out who that person is, get a meeting with them around your lunchtime or, or late in the day and take off early and, and go make it happen. Um, there's, you know, multiple ways to do things. You just have to get creative. Mm, makes sense. So let's talk about this. So you decided, okay, now I'm going to go to full. I'm going to go into this business full time. I'm going to try to get some sales immediately, some big retail or some uh, retail uh, customers. So you start going to. How do you identify which retailers you wanted to go to, and like what? What did you do once you walked into, I guess, the door? Told them my story. Told them where it started. I let them try the product, and off we went. I mean, my first pitch, my first actual sales meetings with a grocery store that's got a hundred plus stores. That was that was my first real like sales pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think you obviously have the the experience and the background to 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 it's almost like uh, second nature for you to be able to approach these retailers since that was what you're doing your full time job and right. selling to them. Uh, but for someone that that doesn't have experience in this at all, maybe doesn't have a business or has a business but has been doing this solely online, but has never considered approaching retailers offline and wants to pursue this. How do you, I guess, a how do you identify? Uh, the not necessarily the stores, but like how do you identify the the key decision makers, and how do you actually get the chance to talk to them? There's multiple different ways. First off, I mean, always learn that store. You know, whatever whatever product you may have, learn if they have a competitor or if you've got some creative, unique product that they don't carry. You know, learn their store and start ask, start talking to store level people. You know, usually they'll always know who that person is, and then so once you find that one person that will tell you their name, then you just pick up the phone and call the corporate office and you say, hey, you know, can I speak to so-and-so? And, you know, most of the time they're not going to pick up the phone, so you leave a voicemail and then you say, okay, how, how else can I get a hold of this person? And then you can always do the send the samples route, get creative on that, send it in a unique box or send it a unique style package with a nice note and some samples to their office addressed to them. That's a good way to get their attention, especially if you've got you know, an outstanding product that really stands out and, you know, be unique with it uh, because these guys get hammered with phone calls and emails all day long. And uh, if you're not on their radar or they don't know who you are, it's it's very hard to get in the door. So definitely get creative and uh, and take things from there. But don't stick to, you know, don't call a guy a hundred times in a week. You know, that's not going to get do anybody any good. Uh, so kind of kind of have some fun with it. 
So what was your what was your pitch then? Because when you went into these uh, these big retailers, this big uh, grocery store customer that, that you're talking about, how did you position yourself in a way where you were unique, you were worthy of them hearing you out, you were worthy of them considering you as a as a a product that they wanted to to sell in their stores? Like, what was your angle? So my angle was, you know, I went in there, I learned what they carried. I said, okay, they have nothing like my product. So how do I get? And so I got actually, I got my product in the buyer's hand before I even knew, you know, before I even got the meeting. So he gave me the meeting based on trying my product. Mm. So that's how I went about. I found out who was the the person that managed that category, got my product in his hands. He liked it, and he said, "Okay, I'll take the meeting." And then so then we I reached out to him, and he said, "Okay." By this time, he he knew a little something about me, knew the product, and said, "Okay." you know, come see me. And that's how I got my foot in the door with my first retailer. Mm, so are these meetings and uh, deals, these business deals, they are they pretty uniform between the different retailers that you're going to? Like, is there a particular goal that you have in mind for the first meeting? Does it require multiple meetings? Like what kind of deals are arranged? Uh, how quickly do they, do they come about? Like, give us an idea of like how different or, or even similar they are between all the retailers that you approached. So usually in every meeting I go into, I have a goal. You know, I want something to come out of that meeting. And usually, you know, it's a defined next step. And a lot of people, especially in the, in the food world, you know, if they, especially if they have a lot of stores, they, they won't put you in all stores right off the bat. They're, they're going to want to do some sort of product testing, you know, and 20% of their stores or something like that. So I always try to get that type of commitment, say, hey, you know, what's our next step? You know, okay, let's pick these 20 stores. When do you want to start it? And then what, what type of paperwork needs to be done. And then I just keep the ball rolling from there. And usually from the first meeting, you know, if they like the product, that's, that's what we do. We just take it from there and then I get it in the stores and, you know, get it in people's hands. Mm. So what, what, how long did it take between the time where you left your full-time employment toward until the time you landed your first big retail client? Ah, so that's, that's, the, that's the funny question, right? So I actually got this meeting within four weeks. And I thought I was off and running. But in the retail world, things move really slow. Mm. It was another five months before I hit their shelves. Wow. So were yeah. you nervous at this time? You know, I guess if you have experience in this industry already, maybe you you knew that this was coming. Like what was going through your head while you were, you know, you had all this not necessarily free time, but you had all this time now to work on your business. You're ready to go hundred percent, you're ready to go at you know hundred miles per hour. But everybody else that you rely on, that you depend on, these customers, these retailers, they're not moving nearly as fast as you are. Like you must have been what did it drive you crazy that you know you're ready to go, but they weren't? Well, so I, I had to make a pivot at that point. And I was like, okay, obviously these, these bigger guys are going to take quite a long time. So I started going to small guys, guys I could do on the spot right then and there and get my product on the shelf within 10 minutes. Frank, I did it today. Walked in, cold call a, uh, a new customer today. Handed him a bag of jerky, introduced myself, said, hey, I'm so-and-so with so-and-so. You know, would you be interested? He said, yeah, let me try it. He tried it. It's on his shelf. You know, all, in all, less than 20 minutes. And that's, so that's what I had to pivot last, last summer and do because I knew I wasn't going to survive long-term waiting for, you know, the process to play itself out. Uh, and the bigger guys. So I went to the small guys. So with these small guys is the, the you know, obviously it sounds like the, 
lag time or the turnaround time is way less. You know, you did it in one day in your example. Do they also make you go through a trial period or do they say, let me just buy, you know, a couple of boxes from you? Like what's the typical arrangement? Most of the time, if you, you know, with the smaller guys, if you say, hey, give me 30 days or 60 days, if it doesn't sell, I'll pick it up. Mm-hmm. And basically it takes the commitment away from them, you know, because most of them, A, they want to help another small company. And B, if you say, hey, I'll give you 60 days, doesn't sell, I'll take it back. And it takes kind of the worry that they're going to have a product mm. sitting collecting dust that they're not going to be able to sell on their shelf. And so that's kind of the way I approached it. And it's, it's worked fairly well. Cool. So while you were doing this, when did you start making that transition into e-commerce? Like what made you decide that that was the, the next step? E-commerce was always on my mind from the beginning. It's just everybody I talked to and I was getting website building quotes and things like that. And they were just to me out of hand. And I said, there's, there's got to be an easier you know, way to do this. And so and that's kind of when I was like, okay, I've heard of GoDaddy. I got on GoDaddy, got the website built out very, I wish I would have took a picture of it, but I didn't. Uh, and then, so I got that going and I was like, and then at that point in time, I really started trying to do the Instagram and the Facebook thing and all that kind of good stuff. And then as time went on, as I started studying a little bit more, making mistakes on the e-commerce, you know, I switched it to another, I still had GoDaddy, but I got everything updated, launched a whole new template, a little bit better. Sales were still slow because I was doing no paid advertisements, no ads, Nothing like that. I was just simply posting on Instagram and Facebook. And that was it. And then about four or five months of that, I was like, okay, this isn't working. And I don't know how I came across Shopify, to be honest. But I started looking into it. And I was like, this is, this is what I'm talking about. And so I shut down my other one, launched my Shopify website, and haven't looked back since. Mm, very cool. So what was the, uh, I guess, how were you getting the traffic and sales to the to the uh, e-commerce site at the time? You know, because like you were saying, you weren't uh, doing any paid traffic or anything. It was still a brand new company. So I'd imagine not many people were going online looking for your products. Like what no. were you doing to to drive, you know, attention towards your, your site? Just trying to get creative on uh, on social media, trying to use Instagram, and you know, trying to utilize the hashtags to get people to actually check out the brand and drive traffic to the site. Lots of uh, lots of friends were lots of the first orders. Um, kind of deal one of those deals, getting people to share it, getting people to post pictures about your product. You know, that way it goes out to a larger audience, and that's kind of how I got the the ball rolling from there. And you know, it took. You know, I still learn every day uh, about it, but things have gotten a lot lot smoother, and definitely traffic's increased. The, increase of the website substantially in the last three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, in the, the pre-interview questions that one of the keys towards your success uh, online was working with uh, influencers. So yep. were these influencers, like who are they? Are they, are they like athletes? Like what are you, who are you working with to, to, um, to help promote your products? Well, so that, that's another thing. Uh, you know, we'd, I'd worked with some influencers, didn't really drive too much much traffic to the website so I kind of switched gears and went to a whole nother category of influencers and those came from the outdoorsman category um, a lot of your hunting your fishing those type of um, influencers because those guys eat a lot of jerky you know and they love cooking and so doing that reaching out to a few of those guys is what really started to, to ramp up uh, the traffic to my site 
and it's been been great ever since. And what what type of influencers did you work with originally, and why 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 didn't why didn't it work and and require you to uh, shift to a different type of influencer? Uh, kind of more like fitness oriented influencers, and that was mainly when I just had the jerky uh, before I had anything else, and it just really wasn't. It was driving a lot of like brand awareness, I'd, I'd say, and probably a lot of maybe in store buys, but nothing really online. Uh, very little traffic. And so then I was like, okay, obviously this is not my category. And I didn't know anything about, I'm not a hunter or, or a fish or anything like that. And so I happened to get introduced to a guy who, who has connections in the hunting industry and he's a big time hunter. And he's like, yeah, we'll get behind you and we'll start promoting you and things like that. And, you know, I said, all right, here we go. Let's do it. And I gave him, you know, some product, sent it to some of his guys and, and off they went. Next thing you know, I'm getting posts from, you know, different states and people I don't even know, but they're connected to him talking about the jerky and online sales are kicking up. Instagram all of a sudden increasing followers. I said, all right, now this is probably the right niche for jerky. Mm, so a lot of people that might have taken the same route as you and decide to work with influencers, they might have done the same thing, right? They might have uh, thought to themselves, okay, who is my target market or who is my target market? Uh, following who are their influencers in the online and start working with them and then find out that it didn't get much traction like you, like you had experienced and then decide, you know what, influencer marketing is just not going to work for my brand. I'm just going to scrap this and move on to a different uh, you know, marketing channel. What made you, you know, not do that? What made you decide, you know what, let me try a different kind of spin on, not spin, but try a different angle on influencer marketing? How, what made you continue to persist in that direction? Frankly, people buy from people, not advertisements. I mean, advertisements do work, but people, you know, buy from people. And if somebody they know is, you know, seeing whether whatever social media platform it's on, if they're on there talking about it or, or this or that, they're like, hey, that looks good. You know, I'll try that. And, you know, that's the category I'm using for the jerky. The seasonings, you know, I'm, I've started reaching out to other influencers, mainly, you know, um, cooking bloggers, people who like to cook, make recipes and things like that for the seasonings because that's going to open up a whole other category for that. So I'm trying not to get, you know, the company boxed into one one set of influencers and, and rely only on them. So those guys are more, more the jerky. And then I've got, you know, chefs that I've started to work with, you know, for the seasonings. And as they, as I reach their audience, that's only going to drive traffic to my site. You know, I reached out to a food blogger not too long ago, sent her some product. She posted one quick picture. Next thing you know, I got a order from her state and it works. Mm-hmm. So for a brand that wants that, that that might be listening for an entrepreneur out there and might be listening and wants to start working with influencers, how how would you give how would you suggest that they identify the type of influencers or identify uh, influencers to work with? Like, do you did you did you have some kind of process? You know, maybe it's simple or maybe it's complicated, um, but we'd love to hear like what is the process for you to identify who to work with? You know, I just started diving in social media, started looking around definitely searching hashtags, you know, different criteria. There's all kinds of different ways to look. And then, you know, I never went for, you know, the top, whoever's got the most influence, right? I stayed away from that because those guys are, are getting hit left and right. So I found somebody with, you know, a, a good size audience. And then at, at that point in time, I just sent them a message saying, hey, would you be willing to, you know, try my products, you know, 
you know, in the cooking, hey, cook some dishes. If you like it, would you mind posting about it? If you don't like it, no worries, you know, no sweat. And usually the reply is, yeah, sure. That way it's, that way it's not a, hey, I sent you some stuff. Why aren't you posting about it? You know, it kind of takes that edge away. It's, hey, if you like it, love to see you post about it. If you don't, no worries. No one, no, no one knows anything. So it's no sweat besides some product, which, you know, isn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So what's the uh, typical arrangement with these influencers? Are you just sending them products? Have you gone to the point where you're working with influencers that want to be paid? So that's my, ne- that's my next step. That's uh, actually what I'm working on, trying to figure out how to implement, you know, basically influencers to get paid. Uh, what do they call that? Uh, affiliates, per mm-hmm. se. Uh, that's the next step. Right now, it's just, hey, here, I'll send you a bunch of product, post a few pictures, eat and enjoy the rest. Because usually I'll send them multiple products. I won't just send them one little item. I'll send them a little bit of everything I have. That way it's more of a, an experience and they don't think I'm just trying to, oh, he just sent me this and that. You know, No, I want to I make sure they, they get something out of the deal too. And I want it to be worth it for them. What, what challenges have you uh, found now that you're transitioning from more of a kind of casual relationship with these influencers to now more of a business arrangement where you are looking for affiliates for people that are going to you know, push your brand, represent your brand, and they actually get paid for doing so? Like, what kind of challenges have you found now that you are looking to shift in that direction? The biggest challenge is getting the proper agreements in place. You know, those, those are key. And then making sure, you know, both parties follow through on that agreement. Uh, because if you don't watch it, you know, if it doesn't take off right off the bat, it may, you know, they may just quit doing it. But yet, if you've got an agreement for X number of months or whatever it may be, you know, you got to hold their feet to the fire. And mm-hmm. so that's been the key challenge. You know, it's like, do you let it go and just move on and don't even worry about it? Or do you say, hey, do this, this, and this? Because, you know, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth your time, effort, and struggle? You know, and that all depends on what you had to invest up front. So what does the typical arrangement look like? What are some key, uh, I guess, deal terms that you have to uh, nail down to make sure that it's a solid uh, affiliate, uh, I guess, business deal? So still working that out. But usually, you know, I try to get them to agree to like at least one post a week. Uh, Not many more than that, you know, because you don't want to overload their their feed or anything like that. Uh, One post a week or one post every two weeks. And in return, you know, They'll get paid on any sales they drive to the e-commerce site, and then I'll send X amount of product per month for them. Usually, I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Mm. So what do you want to make sure that uh, both parties, uh, I guess, have in, in this arrangement to make it successful? Because it sounds like you want to uh, have some kind of quantifiable thing that they have to do. Are there things that you voluntarily or offer to them too, other than the monetary side of it, of course? That makes it makes them want to, I guess, work with you or or give their best effort when they are promoting your products. I mean, the monetary, obviously, that, and then they get the free product. So, mm-hmm. and then you know, I'll try to give them a little extra too. You know, whether if they're just focused on one product or whatnot, I'll try to include a few extra things. Um, that way, it you know, it's a win-win. I try to make it a win-win for both parties. Mm, makes sense. So are you using any specific apps or tools to help with this affiliate program like to make it easier to set it up and, and then also, of course, track the return on your investment? So not yet. So that's what uh, I've been diving into lately. Uh, usually, I've always just kept track of it. You know, when somebody enters a, a discount code, 
you can see that discount code and then I put that discount code in a spreadsheet. And so now I'm trying to see what apps are out there that can definitely streamline that process uh, much more efficiently for me. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, so now actually uh, manufacturing the, the, these products, like what's the, the process like? Are you making this, these yourself still or have you outsourced it? Like, what's no, the- no, no. I outsource everything now because, uh, you know, selling to retail and doing especially the amount of retail that I do, I have to have insurance. Everything has to be uh, on the meat side, USDA certified. Uh, all that is stringent. And then same on the food seasoning has to be FDA approved, all that kind of good stuff. So I definitely use co-packers for that. So what I do is I find one, take them my recipe and ask them, hey, can we can we do something with this? Can you make this for me? Um, some will say no, some will say yes. And then you find one that, that fits with you and your product and then off you go. So tell us a little about this uh, this process of identifying a co-packer, identifying, um, a, I guess, a company to outsource your, especially when it comes to food, uh, finding a co-packer to work with. Like, what was the process like for you? A lot of lot of research and then a lot of testing um, to make sure the product was right. And then I true usually well, I try to find somebody within you know three hours of St. Louis. That way, if you, you know you got to drive to them, you got to sit down and work with them. Whatever it may be, they're close because that would definitely be a challenge if you know I had a co-packer in California. When um, I, I get there's not always going to be a co-packer around your town, and, and you may have to go further out. I was just fortunate enough to have uh, the resources here in the Midwest uh, to make my products, and so from there it was just you know identifying the right one because you know they all have different minimums, there's different standards, different upfront cost, and so you basically want to definitely reach out to two or three and kind of make a spreadsheet or, or make a list of, you know, okay, these guys have a minimum of this, these guys have a startup cost of this, and then start to narrow it down which one's going to be the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess similar to to the question about uh, working with uh, the affiliates, what are some key deal terms that you have to pay attention to when you are striking a deal with a co-packer? Uh, definitely uh, turn times, like lead times. Those are definitely, you want to make sure you know those up front. And then, time frame on new product development. So say like on the seasonings, I want to launch a new flavor. So I'll do that recipe. I'll get that. And I'll, I'll take it to them and say, hey, okay, can we mass produce this for, you know, the cost that I need, need it to be done in. And then, so you definitely want to, Hey, when is this going to be done? You know, two weeks, three weeks, 30 days, you know, you kind of want to know your, your dates and your turns. And, uh, you want to kind of have all that set in place and you definitely want to have all your agreements in place too. Um, all your arrangements that way they can't take, you know, take your formula and give it to somebody else. And, and most of them won't, you know, cause you'll sign confidentiality agreements and mm-hmm. all that kind of good stuff. So you definitely want to have all those agreements in place. Mm. And what goes on? You said that there was a lot of testing involved. Like what goes on in testing? Is it just like your taste testing or is there more involved in that? Well, uh, take for example, I tried to launch a seasoning a few months ago and, and we had made one. Here, you know, um, took it to the co-packer, said, hey, can you match this? Uh, and the match wasn't coming out right. And we did it again and again and again. And finally, I was like, I just scratched it. Uh, because what you create may not be what comes out once it goes through the manufacturing process. And so not everything works. And so that's when you say, okay, you can do a test batch, then you do another test batch. And a lot of times it's testing and tweaking. And so if something is it quite right? You'll say, okay, let's 
let's tweak this a little bit. So you'll make another test batch. You'll work with that batch. You may have to tweak that again or, or it may be right. And then uh, once it's approved, off you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, so you've been in business for, I think you told me, like 13 months, uh, starting in 2015. So h- how long did it take to you to to, uh, to find a co-packer, to find someone to outsource the, the manufacturing to? Uh, the jerky, it took, uh, it took a few months to kind of get that narrowed down. And then uh, the seasonings took a few months. And the beef sticks didn't take that long at all because I was – started to make some meat contacts and everything like that. And so in the meat business, and I just simply ask, ask somebody, hey, I've got a beef stick I'm making. Where can I go get it to you know, be produced? And he said, oh, you got to go see you know, this company. And picked up the phone, called them. And they, were, they were great right off the bat, and off we went. So it definitely, it's gotten easier, and it's gotten a little quicker to find companies now that I know a little bit more than what I'm doing than when I started. Mm-hmm. Do you need to, you were saying earlier about all the regulations that go on with uh, food manufacturing. Do you need to worry about that or do these co-packers take care of all the stress and all? They, they take care of all that. You know, there's a few things that I have to do, but it's very minimal. Um, you know, just submitting, you know, the nutritional statements and things like that. Uh, but most of the time they're going to help you with that because they have the contacts uh, with, with the government to do that because they have to work with them on a regular basis anyways. So usually they'll just do that for you, and it makes life uh, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So now that you are uh, no longer making these uh, these beef products yourself, you outsource that piece of it. What's your day to day like? What do you spend your time doing? You know, you wake up in the morning. Like, how do you spend your day? Usually it varies. Uh, I'll kind of try to split my week up so it's not the same thing every day. But a lot of it is still still out and about, seeing customers, making sales calls. Uh, making sure deliveries are going where they're supposed to be going. And then part of the week is, you know, working e-commerce, reaching out to influencers, what's going on 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 the e-commerce side of things. And usually that'll make up, you know, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, kind of the weekend when no one else is working. That's when I'll switch to the e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at your site, and you know, you you have products that range from I think the maybe the cheapest is like a dollar fifty up to I haven't looked at everything, but up to at least sixty six dollars. I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. How did you decide on the pricing? Like, what? How did you figure out how much to price these products at? And I'm I'm not too familiar with pricing with, I guess, the more popular beef jerkies. But is this is you consider your product and your pricing more premium compared to uh, what you see in a typical convenience store uh no it's actually it's uh it's really competitive so when you look at the high end that high end that 66 dollars that's a combination so that's a that's a big 12 pack of product mm-hmm. uh and then that dollar 50 is just simply one beef stick if somebody just wanted to add one at checkout there you go and so usually you know i've got everything priced in singles and then multiples and then you know quad packs or you know, even a half a case, which is what uh, what the sixty six dollar one is. That way, you know, the more they buy, they get a little bit of a price break. Mm-hmm. And when you were launching these different uh, product lines, or actually before you before you just, you launched these product lines, what made you decide to go beyond just beef jerky? Like, what was the uh, I guess the impetus to 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 launch a new product line? So, if you're on the website and you actually look at uh, my logo, it says provisions, right? Well, that used to say beef jerky, Moab beef jerky, and the site actually used to be Moab beef jerky. And after a few months of just getting out there and pounding the tables, you know, I started looking around and say, okay, I definitely want to take the company in multiple directions and not just beef jerky. 
And so that's when I changed over to Moab Provisions and I started looking, you know, okay, what can I do that I think fits into what I want to do and where there's room for me? And that's when the seasonings came next Um, because I started looking at the grocery store shelves and everything on there was full of artificial ingredients, you know, full of salt, things, things I just didn't buy hardly. And I said, okay, there's got to be, you know, a market for, for a premium line of seasonings. And that what, that's what led to that. And then, so got that up and running. And then as I'm out in the store, you know, selling jerky and things like that, I started looking at the beef sticks and I said, okay, there's two players on the beef sticks. They all have pork. They all have, well, not all, but some of them have minced chicken parts and they're all greasy and they're all full of artificial ingredients. I said, okay, I, I know I can make a better beef stick. And so I went out and made a hundred percent all beef stick that's, uh, that has no artificial ingredients and it's not greasy. And so it's just one of those deals. Identify something that you, that you want to make and go do it. Mm. And what about launching the, the apparel line, you know, because uh, the apparel line, because usually this uh, move into apparel, you have to have a super strong brand. Like, did you feel like that was starting to happen where people were starting to recognize the brand itself? And that's the reason why you decided to go the apparel route or what made you uh, decide to, because, you know, the, the food, the seasoning, all that kind of makes sense, right? It's like a progression that you're going through. Uh, what made the, the decision to also launch a, a line of, you know, t-shirts? You know, just something extra on there. If somebody wants to buy a t-shirt and support the brand, more power to them. And I appreciate, uh, I appreciate them doing that. And it was just more or less just to have some fun because I needed t-shirts to wear around. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, if I've got to wear them around, I'll buy enough to, to put online and sell them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And that's really, that's kind of really how the apparel started. It was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to have, you know, stuff to wear around and grew from there. Now, once you, it sounds like you're at the stage now where you are, uh, you have the manufacturing nailed down. You you seem to have a process too for working with these retailers door to door. You have an e-commerce store set up. Uh, what what's the next step then? You know, like how do you scale this operation of like how what what do you see as the next stage that you want to achieve with uh, Moab Provisions? So scaling um, means I'm going to start building my team now because. Now I have distribution in all 50 states. Now I'm not sold in all 50 states, but I actually have a distribution network for my products that I can reach all 50 states in Canada uh, if need be. Because I'm sold in 10 states right now, uh, about to go into another two or three over the next few months. Um, so definitely you know, going to build a team to scale the retail and build a team to scale the e-commerce because I want to keep growing the e-commerce uh, and I need help doing that. And so that's kind of the next phase is start to hire my team to help me build out both those channels. Yeah, I think this is a stage that a lot of entrepreneurs are at where they are they've done everything they can being a solo entrepreneur, maybe outsourcing their manufacturing, maybe outsourcing their distribution as well and logistics. Um, but now they want to obviously go bigger, right? Because again, they're capped out by the time, by the amount of effort they can put in, they need to expand. What's the process that you're going through? Like what's going through your head when you decide who to hire, how to find the right people to hire, like all of that. So definitely, you know, the one thing I always look for is the right attitude. Um, you know, and I've got a few guys, uh, definitely, you know, two that I've got lined up that are ready to come on board. We're just trying, you know, we're working through some things right now. And it's, it's identifying the right person to bring on board to fill the needs that you need help with. If you know you're strong in one suit, don't hire somebody for that. Hire people 
that are strong in areas where you're not. Uh, and mine, one of mine is, is definitely e-commerce. You know, I'm not strong in that area. And so that's definitely going to be one of my first hires is say, hey, take over this, do the analytics. How do we grow this business rapidly, you know, online? And, you know, attitude plays a huge part because I don't want somebody that just wants a job. I want somebody that's going to be passionate about the products, passionate about their work. Uh, and it's definitely, you know, coming on board for the long term and not, you know, just looking for a job. If somebody says they're just looking for a job, they've got no chance. You know, there's just no, I'm not even going to waste my time talking to them. And is there a way to, I guess, identify that, you know, because we've all been in, uh, interviewed or been interviewing, interviewed people where you kind of know the song and dance or you know how to say the right things to, to you know, put yourself in a good light. Is there a way for you to pull that, like, I guess, the, the truth out of people when you're trying to hire them to identify that they're going to be a good fit and not just kind of saying things that you want to hear? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, this makes a, it's a lot makes a lot more sense for the solopreneur or the the small team is kind of identify who you need and start asking you know friends and family. Say, hey, you know anybody that's good at this? Oh yeah, so and so is, and try to get to know that person before you even say anything, and, and kind of start asking questions in a roundabout way that uh, you want answered, and that'll really help to gauge, you know, their thought process and what they think about things. You know, because I definitely like growth mindset folks. You know, people that say, hey, you know, they're not going to be fixed in this or that, or they're just going along to get along. And if they have the right attitude with what they're doing now, uh, they're more likely going to have the right attitude if, they, if you can get them to come on board with you. Um, and then as far as people that have just asked me for employment, no, usually that's not going anywhere. Usually I'll try to seek out mm-hmm. uh, the right person because that's the only way, you know, you can kind of get a feel for it. So you always get to know that person before you even bring up a job. Um, so I definitely highly suggest that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, you know, with all the, the work that you put in over the last 13 months, give us an idea of how successful the business is today, how much you've grown since, uh, you've gotten started. Uh, so last, so I've already hit last year's sales. So it looks like I'm going to double last year. Uh, if not even a little more than double last year's sales, six figures. Okay, six figures, cool. So when you started this, like, is most of the this you started this obviously offline? Is most of the sales still coming from your, your I guess, your offline efforts, like going door to door, selling directly to just retailers? Yes, most sales are are still coming from that. But e-commerce, since you know, I've taken a concerted effort to grow that business, has grown considerably. Uh, for example, you know, June and July did more business than I did the first. Well, not the first half of the year, but almost the first half of the year. Uh, and so that's kind of really stepped up, trying to get online where it's steady and then continues to grow every month because I'm still having you know, a high month and then it'll dip. So the focus is, okay, you know, get the e-commerce month over month to keep growing you know, a little bit at a time and quit and stop dipping. Because uh, mm-hmm. definitely I love e-commerce sales. Makes sense. So while you are learning about how to uh, market more online, are there any specific books or blogs that you like to rely on that you've been kind of uh, you know immersing yourselves, yourself in uh, to learn more about how to run an online store? Yeah, well, your podcast, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to it all the time. Uh, definitely my, my weekly go-to while I'm out driving around. So definitely that's one. Uh, that's been a big e-commerce one. And then I've done a few others, but I haven't really lasted on them. Yours is pretty much the one I've stuck to, and I'm going blank on um, 
on the other one I listen to. Uh, always listen to Gary V. If you know who that is, um, so I listen to his a couple times a week. He's always got good pointers with social media, what the next trend is, or what to do on this platform, kind of deal. So definitely hit him up. And then uh, as far as just business goes, uh, definitely go to uh, the MFCEO podcast. That's my go-to weekly business podcast. So those are kind of the three I stick to. And then uh, Grant Cardone would be my fourth one, which is more business oriented. Yeah, I like uh, MFC Hill too. I discovered his uh, his stuff. He, I think he's in. I don't think he's in exactly in, in food, but I guess more of like athletic uh, supplements. Supplements, exactly. Yeah, but his podcast is great. His stuff he's putting out is just so raw, like entrepreneurship, raw business advice. I definitely recommend checking out uh, his stuff too. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. Definitely, yeah, check him out for sure. Yeah, is he uh, in St. Louis as well? He is, yeah. Oh, he's cool. right here in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, you should definitely, uh, if you haven't networked with him yet, I think he'd be a great connection for you. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much, Matt. So, MoabProvisions.com, again, is the website, M-O-A-B-P-R-O-V-I-S-I-O-N-S.com. Uh, anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out to follow along with what you're up to? Yeah, definitely Instagram, Moab Provisions. That's, uh, that's kind of the platform that's getting most of all my attention right now. I've kind of let Facebook kind of fall off the edge. And it's all on Instagram. So it's at Moab Provisions. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Matt. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.